Hey, fancy folks, you're back. And for that, I love you. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite books of all time, and that is Ready Player One. I'm Lamont Hendricks, and let's uncage the page. If you're new to Uncage the Page, welcome. We're so glad you're here. What we do is pitch, summarize, and analyze our favorite stories, hitting the highlights of our favorite parts. I'm Lamont Hendricks, actor, writer, and your hostess with the mostest. Time on his hands, clearly. Wait, hostess at... Hostess? Does that make me a snack? You're dang right it does. So if you haven't read Ready Player One, let me pitch it to you. This book is the wet dream of anyone who has ever played a video game, learned every note of a band's song, rolled the dice in a game of Dungeons and Dragons, or watched a movie so many times that you could quote it by heart. It's the 80s literary, cinematic, and auditory version of a turducken to a starving 20-year-old. It has a male protagonist and first-person POV. It's set in America in the 21st century. Imagine if your mom or dad, whichever one is more bakerly inclined, forced you to help them bake an 80s-themed pie, mixed it with the Avatar, the Matrix, and the Sims video game, but it was actually fun. In the 2040s, Earth, after facing an energy crisis, climate crisis, and every other crisis you can think of, is at its lowest point. Some nerd raised in the 80s comes along and invents a virtual reality gaming system that takes the world by storm. Imagine if Tinder, Facebook, and your weekly work Zoom meeting, where you only actually dress your top half, was integrated into one galaxy-sized platform that allowed you to be who you want to be in whatever world you want to be. Star Wars, Rivendale, or Leave it the Beaver universe. It doesn't matter. Instead of watching The Office for the 16th time, you could be Pam Beasley. You could be John McClane. You could be Paul Blart Mall Cop, and no one would know it was you. You want to play Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr in Hamilton? Well, the Oasis is your ticket. Pop in a quarter. Are you ready, player one? Been practicing your speech a little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. That was good. I liked it. Actually, I forgot. We got to go over the particulars. I was in such a hurry to get into the book that I forgot about this part. So for the particulars, we have a protagonist. Uh, it's just one. It's Wade Watts. Uh, his name is Alliterative, like a superhero, Peter Parker sort of thing. He's a typical pop culture obsessed teen highly competent just broke man can anyone else in the world relate to that hmm uh, for the cast it's probably about four to eight characters that you need to be aware of one of them is james halliday he is the creator of the oasis which is the online platform that most of this book takes place in the other one is artemis which is the love interest of the main character now you never really read the book from their perspective but they have a very large impact on the story itself. Now, grit. For those of you that are just joining us, grit is how I describe how dark or harsh the story world is. Um, normally, and I do that on a reference between one and ten. So, like a a one would be a you know Disney Channel original, and and eight would be a HBO Cinemax Skinemax sort of story. Grit. Now this one's a little bit different. Uh, I give it about a seven. Uh, it has some language. Wait a second. No one else is going to deal with the fact that Cap just said language. Now in terms of similars, there's not actually a lot of similars to this book. I guess maybe Ender's Game, Surrogates the Movie, Gamer, Kid and King Arthur's Court, Inception, 
Rookie of the Year, this book and story has a very cinematic feel, which lends itself to a lot of movies. There is a movie of Ready Player One, but we will not be talking about it in this particular podcast. This one is mostly about the book. Friends, foes, familiars. From here on out, we're going to summarize and talk about some of my favorite parts of the story, but that includes spoilers. So if you haven't read the book already, now's your chance to back out. You don't want to ruin it for yourself. Don't do that to yourself, Clint. Now, because y'all hard-headed, I'm going to say it again. Don't do that to yourself. So we're going to cover a bit of the prologue here. And of all the books in the world where you don't want to skip the prologue, this might be the one. I mean, like, yeah, like this might be the one. I mean, like, sure, like... If you want to gloss over Genesis, that'd be a bad idea. But, you know, the rest of the story is kind of the more important part. But this, this prologue is the one you don't want to skip. So to all you prologue skippers out there, like, I know you're out there, but like, why are you like this? Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. Tell him, Michael Scott. Tell him to stop skipping the prologue. The prologue. It's basically giving us a lowdown on where we are in the world, who Holiday is, and what the Oasis is. It's this hyper-immersive and addicting world that makes the hours that you spend on Facebook look like the blink of an eye. It's like a combination of Westworld and no, it's no, it's 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 just Westworld, <laughs> just not in the West. <laughs> well, it can be. Just so we can clear up how the Oasis works as a world, remember that everyone goes to work on it, they go to school on it, they they spend their leisure time going on it because they can go anywhere and do anything and be anyone on it. It makes money by selling transportation fees selling fake bullets, selling fake clothes, selling fake houses. And when I say fake, I mean it doesn't actually exist. It's just zeros and ones. It's called surreal estate. I can't, like, I would love to be like, oh, yeah, I came up with the term surreal estate, but I didn't. (sighs) The Oasis is an MMO on steroids. Now, an MMO is a massively multiplayer online game. I don't know why it's not called a massive multiplayer online game, but you know what? They don't ask me these kind of questions. Those games are typically uh, World of Warcraft. That's a very, very good um, or popular uh, MMO. Another one would be Grand Theft Auto Online, Call of Duty. Heck, if you want to get down to the nitty gritty, Animal Crossing. I'm going to piss off a lot of people calling Animal Crossing an MMO. But it is. Don't at me, bro. Or sis. Now, before I piss anyone else off, I was just giving some common ground so that you can kind of connect it to your head. Not all MMOs look alike. Now let's jump back into what's at stake in the book. Now, the prologue lets us know that 240 billion, billion, is what's at stake. That's what's on the table. Plus, control of the world for all intents and purposes because everyone lives and works 
on the Oasis. But $240 billion? Talk about a carrot. Now, now we're going to get into that, the Oasis, so much more, but this just, just gives us a taste of what the Oasis does. And we also get clues on what kind of person Halliday is. The Oasis was invented by James Halliday, and all the prologue basically does is let you know who he was and then that he dies. So he dies before the book even begins, but he sets up this hunt, this, this game, where if you find his stuff, then you win all of his money. And so that's the... I'm not going to say the inciting incident, but maybe, maybe the inciting incident. You know, I may not always feel this way, but at the moment, yeah, I think it's the inciting incident because the inciting incident is the moment or or point in a story, especially in the beginning, that disturbs the life of the protagonist and it forces them to change and, and drive the story going forward. And Halliday's death does make Wade or Parzival our main character, it makes him pursue the hunt, the game that is the whole book. So yeah, I'm going to go with Inciting Incident. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your help there. James Halliday is and was something else. For most of the podcasts, I may use past and present tense interchangeably. James Halliday has died. His avatar, Anorak, is still very much so alive. But during the prologue, he's alive for about a page and a half. So I'm going to describe him in present tense here. He's a full-fledged nerd with his geek flag flying. And I say nerd with the utmost respect. This man loves video games, fantasy fiction books, Star Treks, Star Treks, Star Wars, Dungeons and Dragons, Duran Duran. Need I say more? Wait, no, I got more. He has glasses. He's wearing a Space Invaders t-shirt. And he's not even wearing it ironically. This guy is the kind of nerd that Henry Mark, Courtney Coleman, and Kirstie Plogue, three of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life, if these three people saw this guy in the cafeteria, they would all three jump him for his lunch money. He's that kind of nerdy. And if these three people, who should be saints, by the way, would be willing to do that, just think of how mean and terrible people like you and me, myself, would treat him. I'm actually gonna stop naming nerdy things. One, because nerds are all my tech support and they're the ones that help me figure out how to change a PDF back to whatever the heck it was beforehand. And also because this whole book is a toe-curling nerdgasm with, I counted, no less than 100 pop culture references. I do not want another single pop culture reference out of you for the rest of the trip, you understand? Oh, Tony, like my parents, you're about to be so disappointed. Level 1. Being human totally sucks most of the time. Video games are the only thing that make life bearable. Anorak's Almanac, chapter 91, verses 1 and 2. Or, remember when you said video games and pop culture would get me nowhere? Well, look at me now. Chapter 1, level 1, first part of the book, we get to see Wade, Wade Watts. And he's a typical high school senior. Uh, he has acne, he feels like he gets picked on, he feels chubby, he feels overweight. But the thing that sticks out in my head is that they, in the beginning he says he lives in a double-wide trailer, but he, says there's, he said there's 15 people living there. 15! Like, the number after 14, the one before 16, that one. Yeah. Then it goes on to tell us about how much abject poverty he lives in and how hard his life is. The book goes way out of its way to make sure that we are instantly sympathizing with this character. And for the rest of the book, you root for him. You really want him to do well. Also because he knows his stuff. 
as you go on and see that he has these interactions with his friend H. Now, I need to admit something. For most of the book, I kept pronouncing H, his best friend's name, as Ache. Now, because it's spelled A-E-C-H, like, I didn't read that as H. Also, I know I'm not alone in this, so I'm reaching out into the, to the ether. Who else pronounced Hermione's name as Hormone Granger? Because that's what I did all day, every day. And no one told me until I was like 23. It was embarrassing. H is his best friend, and they have these conversations inside their private chat rooms. And it's clear, very, very clear that they know what they're talking about. They are highly competent characters who, for the most part, won't be relying on luck. Now, I must clarify, because it'll come up later on when we talk about the themes and the analysis of this book, but Wade Watts and his character, or his avatar, Parzival, are not the same person. I mean, they are the same person, but the avatar is a representation of you in the Oasis, which is this virtual reality world, and his avatar exhibits very different characteristics than Wade Watts himself. His avatar is confident, his, his avatar is... Um, a bit cocky. Him in real life and him in the game are very different. Just like you are different when you are on Facebook, Instagram, or behind a keyboard, avatars are your kind of shield against the real world. Now again, Wade Watts' avatar is named Parzival. Kind of a play on words for Percival, but the name was already taken, so he went with what he had. Now, Parzival, the kind of the, the person who you know found the Holy Grail, Camelot, all that, but in the beginning, his name used to be, his avatar's name used to be Wade the Great. And if you knew me when I was younger, you know that my Letterman jacket used to say the Great on the back. Man, that was a dumb decision. Like, he had an excuse. He was like 10. I was like 17. Oh, man. Yeah, on the back, it said the Great. I, and my mom, to this day, still makes fun of me because I called myself Lamont the Great for an entire year. Oh, man. Yep, you're listening to that guy, guys. Congratulations. So we meet Parzival, we meet H, his best friend, a white guy with a big, large Cheshire grin. Since you can make your character look like anything, you might as well have, you know, your, your most prominent features most forward. This is where we also learn that Wade has this huge crush on Artemis, and he hasn't met her. It's just, he's only read her blogs, and he's heard about her and watched her videos. Yeah. It's the internet, people. And don't act like you didn't have a huge crush on Jonathan Taylor Thomas or Kelly Kapowski or Topanga. You're not that high and mighty. Come on down. Now, I was going somewhere before I went off on that tangent. Um, yes, Parzival and H are best friends. They get together, they play each other in video games, they, they test and quiz each other on on holiday knowledge and trivia. And Parzival has a huge crush on Artemis. And all three are after the egg. They're all after the prize, which the book shorthands it and calls them Gunters, Egg Hunters. Gunter. Yeah, I know. You don't even have to say it. So we're finding out all this information about the characters, how for the most part, they're all probably around the same age and in school, which is its own planet. Thousands of schools and they're all like numbered and they surround the planet. So when you log on to learn, you go to PS3418. But 
gosh, how cool would that be? How easy it would be to be a teacher and educator in that sort of system. All of my teachers were pretty great. Unlike their real world counterparts, most of the Oasis public school teachers seemed to genuinely enjoy their job. Probably because they didn't have to spend half their time acting as babysitters and disciplinarians. The Oasis software took care of that, ensuring that the students remained quiet and in their seats. All the teachers had to do was teach. It was also a lot easier for online teachers to hold their students' attention, because here in the Oasis, the classrooms were like holodecks. The teachers could take their students on virtual field trips every day without ever leaving the school grounds. During our world history lesson that morning, Mr. Avinovich loaded up a standalone simulation so that our class could witness the discovery of King Tut's tomb by archaeologists in Egypt in A.D. 1922. The day before, we visited the same spot in 1334 B.C. and had seen Tutankhamun's empire in all its glory. In my next class, Biology, we traveled through a human heart and watched it pumping from the inside, just like in that old movie, uh, Fantastic Voyage. In our class, we toured the Louvre while all of our avatars wore silly barrettes. In my astronomy class, we visited each of Jupiter's moons. We stood on the volcanic surface of Io while our teacher explained how the moon had originally formed. As our teacher spoke to us, Jupiter loomed behind her, filling half the sky its great red spot churning slowly just over her left shoulder. Then she snapped her fingers and we were standing in Europa, discussing the possibility of extraterrestrial life behind the moon's icy crust. Now, classes like that are every student, parent, and teacher's dream. Thousands of schools on that digital planet, and they all can do that. Though, this is where we arrive to the first problem and kind of kickstart the rising action of the story. Wade can't get off the planet. Also, rising action is a writer structure term. Identifies a specific chunk of the story. You could say a series of events that have to do with the primary conflict. Each event should be more complicated than the previous, hopefully to help build tension and something, build to something. <laughs> now, as I said, Wade can't get off the planet, but let's cover something really quickly. The oasis is huge. It's divided into sectors, and those sectors take hours in real time to fly across, if you have your own spaceship, which Wade does not. His best friend H does, but he won't ask him. Why? Because they're all competing against each other. That's the way the game works. One of the core uh, conflicts in the book is they can't share information because they have to be the one to win. They're only one can win the prize. Now, not being able to get off the school planet is only a problem because Wade and pretty much every other gunter in existence have devoted their entire life to finding the egg, Holiday's prize. And no one's been able to find that for years. The world only has a limerick to go off of. A limerick is a form of poetry. It has a strict rhyming scheme, A-A-B-B-A. When used properly, it really shines. In terms of lines, the first, second, and fifth rhyme. Uh-oh. The third and fourth share a different crime. Make it stop. The following is a limerick from earlier time. The copper key awaits explorers in a tomb filled with horrors. But you have much to learn if you hope to earn 
a place among the high scorers. That's the riddle that no one seemed to be able to solve for almost five years. With $240 billion on the line, you couldn't solve a riddle? Ugh. Luckily, the first of the three keys was hidden on the school planet. Wade finds it, and Wade earns that key by going through and living through a real-life Dungeons & Dragons module and beating a Lich, which is a very, very powerful wizard for those of you guys that are not up on your D&D lore. He beats a very, very powerful wizard in a game of Joust, which is a arcade game. But he also runs into Artemis. A stocky female avatar stepped out of the shadows and into the chamber's flickering torchlight. She had raven hair, styled Joan of Arc short, and appeared to be in her late teens or early twenties. As she got closer, I realized that I knew her. We never actually met, but I recognized her face from the dozens of screenshots she'd posted to her blog over the years. It was Artemis. She wore a suit of scaled gunmetal blue armor that looked more sci-fi than fantasy. Twin blaster pistols were slung low on her hips and quick-draw holsters. And there was a long curved elvish sword in a scabbard across her back. She wore fingerless road warrior style racing gloves and a pair of classic Ray-Ban shades. Overall, she seemed to be going for a sort of mid-80s post-apocalyptic cyberpunk girl-next-door look. And it was working for me, in a big way. In a word, hot. As she looked toward me, the heels of her studded combat boots clicked on the stone floor. She halted just out of my sword's reach, but did not draw her own blade. Instead, she slid her shades up to her avatar's forehead, a blatant affectation, since sunglasses didn't actually affect a player's vision, and looked me up and down, making a show of sizing me up. For a moment, I was too starstruck to speak. To break my paralysis, I reminded myself that the person operating the avatar in front of me might not be a woman at all. This girl, whom I've been cyber-crushing on for the past three years, might very well be an obese, hairy-knuckled guy named Chuck. Now, we know who Artemis is. Artemis is his, you know, one and only celebrity crush. She's his... Uh, Justin Timberlake, his Janelle Monet, his Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yes, I assume that you, of all people, have a celebrity crush on Jeff Goldblum. Moving on. And, what, and also, let me clarify, you do you, all right? Uh, Kelly Kapowski, the Pink Ranger, Lucy Liu from Lucky Number 11, they all got through. They all got me through some of my darkest times, so I'm not here to judge you. Now, for the most part, I will not talk about the differences between the movie and the book. They're very different stories. I think, but I will talk about the story bits a bit. <laughs> it's um, in the in the movie. They meet thirty minutes in. I mean, meet in person, like thirty minutes into the movie. Uh, in the book, they don't really meet in person till the last page. Uh, it's kind of the, throughout the book. You have a lot more feelings of catfish, and I, you have a feeling of catfish. Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. You feel like he feels like. He's, he, like, they don't actually say the word catfish, but you know what I mean. Come on, work with me, people. Now, when he first mentions Artemis, he kind of describes her avatar as Rubenesque and shapely. And I was like, wait, 
that's not how women want to be described at all. No woman wants to be described as Rubenesque or shapely. At the time, I didn't know what Rubenesque was. Now, I have since looked up Rubenesque, and it reads as characteristic or reminiscent of the paintings of Rubens, especially with reference to his voluptuous female nudes. Now, that last word aside, I, I still don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if it's better. <laughs> is like is would. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it just means, you know, more real and less hypersensualized, hy less hyperfanalized. And I think that's a good thing. I think it doesn't matter what I think. Moving on. <laughs> so now we have, you know, Parzival Wade having the first key that anyone's gotten in the game in almost six years. It's huge. He's also met, you know, his biggest crush. And now he has motivation. We're still part of that rising action because now he has you know a reason I mean he's always had a reason but now he's had more motivation like I said to win like I said to win because he wants to impress Artemis who is also trying to kick his butt so now he has double incentive he wants to beat his crush in the contest in order to like win her over which I'd like to point out is a terrible idea that only works in like love and basketball but anyway they're not asking me beating them wasn't enough remember they're not playing this for kicks they're not playing this for giggles come on they're playing for you know half a million dollars uh, half a trillion dollars worth and total control of the oasis itself so that's big money and for most uh, everyone on the oasis that's big money and virtual and i mean that with every sense of the word virtual control of their entire way of life and it's just been upended because he didn't expect to see her there he thought he was the only one that found the key turns out not true she found the key a month before him she just wasn't able to complete the trial as fast as he could so they've kind of established that she is also super confident she knows what she's doing she has the knowledge she has the lore and she has just about the skills she's actually a higher level character than him which means she has better access to the rest of the oasis because she has a ship he does not lucky for him he knows exactly where the first gate is now remember there are three keys and each key opens a gate so three keys three gates the first gate is in a virtual recreation of Halliday's hometown in Ohio now remember this looks real this doesn't look like Final Fantasy 7 on the original PlayStation or your Tamagotchi 2-bit graphics. This, for the most part, looks real and in complete detail. I'm talking pizza parlors, and whoever has pizza parlors these days, ice cream shops, cars, rooms, all that looks real. Now, I love my hometown in the middle of the Midwest, but I'm not sure I'm going to spend a lot of time recreating that. But, you know, again, they didn't ask me. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. Now, the test for this gate is probably one of the coolest parts of this whole entire book. It's something the book invented called a flick sync, which you essentially get a virtual reality rendition of a movie, and you get a score based on how well you act out the parts based on the character you are in the movie. And so in the book, they have to go through the movie War Games. So they ha he has to go through Matthew Broderick's Oh, Matthew Broderick's character and recite his lines and get a score based on how well he does the inflections, uh, dialect, or, you know, what, what, why can I not think of the word? What, what's the word that people, accent? Ooh. 
I'm an idiot. I want the Oasis to exist if only for flick syncs. I mean, how fun would that be? And I'm not even just saying that because I'm an actor, but just think about it. Now me and my friends can quote Bad Boys 2 all we want. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? And that's the best, and that's next miss knows me. Hey, dude, you gotta learn the words. You think you would come over my house and we wouldn't act out the greatest showman for points? Come on now. You better know your part and the key, because it's own. How do we make that happen? Because I need that in my life, like now. So speaking of invitations, this is the point in the story that things get real. Wade gets an invitation from Nolan Sorrento, which is the head of IOI, AKA the Sixers, AKA the Suxers, AKA, you know, corporate global media that's trying to control us, man. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sixers are a company that I've devised a way of trying to take over the Oasis by hiring out a lot of people and they pay them a salary for trying to complete the egg. And But the rules are if you find the egg and you work for IOI, IOI gains control of, you know, Oasis, which is a global web platform that everyone's playing this game on or living their lives on. IOI gets control of it. You get a fat bonus. In the movie and in the book, they, they, they're, they're very... They're kind of displayed as evil people because they want to monetize it. They want to they want to put a whole bunch of advertisements on it. That in itself is not evil, but to the people playing the game for the spirit of the game, it feels kind of crazy. And also, they're willing to do some. I've been. I'm going to use the word dastardly. They're willing to do some dastardly things, such as uh, rigs uh, that are not supposed to be made, but they allow more than one person to control an avatar. Which means that if you get into a, you come into a situation in the game where you don't know how to do it, instead of relying on yourself and your wits and your knowledge and your preparation, you're allowed to just switch it off to someone else who's better at it and still pretend that it's the same person. Now, there's a big thing that's covered in the book, that if you are caught having more than one account, you are banned from uh, the Oasis and you're no longer ever eligible to ever win the contest. So IOI has found a clever way of getting around it, but in the spirit of the game, it's terrible. Now to put this in perspective, let's just say you've been playing Mario Kart with your older sibling and you've been losing all day, just coming in second over and over and over and over again. Now to, put, now, to be fair, I never lose at Mario Kart, but this is a hypothetical. So you've been coming in second, three matches in a row, and now it's time for that last match and it's Rainbow Road. And you know you're better at that match, at that map, than your, your older sibling. So now it's like time for some payback. Just at the moment, you're gonna, you're like, you're gonna come in and you know, snatch victory right at the end. Woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. Yeah, let's go. But instead of taking that L that they so rightfully deserve, I might add, your older sibling in their cowardice hands off the controller to his friend who's really, really good at Rainbow Road. And therefore they kick your butt. Then they hand the controller back to your older sibling and the older sibling walks around like he won the whole time, like he earned that victory all by himself. Now again, this is a hypothetical and I may have lost the thread and gotten to the weeds a bit, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Clearly, I have some repressed memories and emotions dealing with losing matches of Killer Instinct and Mortal Kombat and NBA 2K to my older brother Nick, but that's not the point, and I will have my revenge. Now, I guess that's the... <laughs> all of that to show how upsetting, and uh, that's why the people that are following the rules are so upset at the Sixers, because remember, there's, you know, a quarter of a trillion dollars on the line here. So 
there's a lot of money online and to have someone cheating and you know they're cheating but you can't really do anything about it that would be quite upsetting so that's why they suck aka called the suckers plus they're like internet providers ioi is they they're like spectrum or i don't know comcast aol you know so they already suck you already hate them now we have wade going to a meeting with ioi just to kind of hear him out because they've been sending him offers and offers and offers or for a meeting and hear him out and they're like okay cool we'll pay you two million dollars a year a one million dollar signing bonus and 25 million dollar bonus if you help them find the egg if he goes to work for them now he plays along for a minute and he's like nope forget it i don't want that uh and he also says you know what the person offering them has to be fired and he wants to be in charge of the whole division they agreed to it immediately and then he realized he was just joking and he canceled it then they were like fine we'll give you five million dollars just to help us get through the first gate now remember there are three gates and he's the only one that's ever been able to pass the first ones he turns them down and then they say you know what tell us how to get to the first gate or we'll blow up your house right now i admit i actually considered it for a second five million dollars would set me up for life and even if i helped the sixers clear the first gate there was no guarantee they'd be able to clear the other two i still wasn't even sure if i would be able to do that trust me son Sorrento said. You should take this offer while you can. His paternal tone irked me to no end, and that helped to steal my resolve. I couldn't sell it to the Sixers. If I did, and they somehow managed to win the contest, I'd be the one responsible. There was no way I'd be able to live with that. I just hoped that H, Artemis, and any other Gunters they approached felt the same way. I'll pass, I said, slid my feet off his desk and stood. Thanks for your time. Sorrento looked at me sadly, then motioned for me to sit back down. Actually, we're not quite done here. We have one final proposal for you, Parzival, and I saved the best for last. Can't you take a hint? You can't buy me, so piss off. Adios. Goodbye. Sit down, Wade. I froze. Had he just used my real name? That's right, Sorrento barked. We know who you are, Wade Owen Watts, born August 12th, 2024, both parents deceased, and we also know where you are. You reside with your aunt in a trailer park located at 700 Portland Avenue in Oklahoma City, Unit 56K, to be exact. According to our surveillance team, you were last seen entering your aunt's trailer three days ago, and you haven't left since which means you're still there right now. A video feed window opened directly behind him, displaying a live video image of the stacks where I lived. There you are, Sorrento said. His pleasant, condescending tone had returned. You should really get out more, Wade. It's not healthy to spend all of your time indoors. The image magnified a few times, zooming in on my aunt's trailer. Then it switched over to thermal imaging mode and I could see the glowing outlines of over a dozen people, children and adults, sitting inside. Nearly all of them were motionless, probably logged into the oasis. I was too stunned to speak. How had they found me? Your first instinct right now would be to log out and make a run for it, Sorrento said, and I urge you not to make that mistake. Your trailer is currently wired with a large quantity of high explosives. He pulled something that looked like a remote trigger out of his pocket and held it up and my finger is on the detonator. If you log out of this chat link session, 
you will die within seconds. Do you understand what I'm saying to you, Mr. Watts? Now, when I said dastardly, I didn't mean murder. It's true. You see, he admits it. But, again, that is one of the things. There's $250 billion at stake. People are going to do some crazy things for it. So Wade says no, kind of calls them on their bluff a little bit, but also um, realizes that he's not there. They blow up his house and they kill everyone there. Murderers. Disgusting. So everybody, I mean everybody in his entire family and in the entire building that he lives in dies. And this is the kind of the point where this is now where Wade's like, oh, this is not a game. It's not a game. This is the point where he realizes that although he's been playing by the rules, not everyone's going to play by the rules, and it really cements this as a moment of realism. And that it's not fictional, like he's been believing everything. The Oasis is fake. This is real life now. This is one of those moments of no return. Now, in a lot of books, a lot of stories, that happens a lot. Now, in this book, there are several moments of no returns, but especially early on in the book, this is early-ish in the first third of the, of the book. This is a door, and sometimes your character gets pushed through that. They don't actually walk through on their own accord. This one, he is pushed through because you can't come back from your entire apartment building and being blown up. It's it's not his choice, but he's now through that door of no return. An example would be in Harry Potter, the Sorcerer's Stone, not the Philosopher's Stone because I'm an American. But an example would be when Harry gets to the King's Cross station to, to board the Hogwarts Express, you really can't come back from that once you've decided to go into that world. Another example would be when Frodo gets to Rivendell and they're like, okay, cool, we can have all this cool stuff, but you're going to Mordor and someone's got to take it. That moment is when Frodo volunteers and afterward, all those guys are like, oh, I volunteer with you. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. Yeah, you can't really, you know, back out of it now. He has to go and he's in, his world will never be the same. Level two. I'm not crazy about reality but still the only place to get a decent meal, Groucho Marx. Or level two. Is it still called catfishing if they don't know what I look like either? Hmm, Lamont Hendricks. So other people find the first key, Wade meets them. There's Daito and Shaito, two Japanese uh, uh, avatars, and Artemis and H, which we already know who they are. And they all meet each other to kind of talk about their experiences a little bit and they all decide they're not going to work with each other because reasons even after Wade has told them hey someone tried to kill me and they're probably going to try to kill you too they were like nah 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 the glory is more important than our lives apparently and that touches on one of the major themes of this book which is immortality now what does this have to do with immortality we'll get to it I promise we got a little bit more to cover I promise we'll get to it so Wade leaves his hometown of OKC and goes to Columbus in search of, you guessed it, immortality. Wait, shh, we're not ready to talk about it yet. So Wade moves to Columbus and he gets an apartment, but he has to get a job because that's like moving to LA, San Francisco, Brooklyn. And so although he's super famous and has sponsors and advertisers, it's expensive. If you didn't know that you're reading a fiction novel, someone dreaming of moving to Columbus, Ohio, definitely clues you in. 
Now, this is the area of the book that we see Wade fall head over heels for Artemis. I say Artemis, her avatar, because again, he's never met or seen a picture of the real life person. I would have told him that was a bad idea, but again, nobody asked me. No one asked your opinion, you filthy little mudblood. Dang, a little harsh, you jerk, okay. Now, before you all go chiming in like this is ridiculous, well, no, it is ridiculous. <laughs> But you young whippersnappers must not remember the bygone days and era of AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, chat rooms, ASL, age, sex, location, uh, which is just kind of let me know who the heck I'm talking to. Also, remember that with games and apps like Second Life, it's not uncommon for people to actually fall in love with someone via online connection. That and matchmakers still exist. Heck, I, I just watched an episode of Indian Matchmaker, uh, you know, 90 Day Fiance, all these shows. I mean, a little bit of them. Oh, no, Married at First Sight. So the idea is not crazy. It's just strange. Probably a bad idea. Nobody asked you, Patrice. Anyway, so we see Wade deal with the tension from the lack of knowledge and confirmation throughout the book. So instead of a, of a will they or won't they sort of theme going on, it's a is she or is he not a dude? Well, maybe not that extreme, but more along the lines of, is she what I expect her to be? Again, now, while we're, while they're out on a date, now, <laughs> before COVID, the idea of a virtual date seemed ridiculous, but here we are. Thanks, 2020. Anyway, while out on this virtual date, Wade blurts out that he's in love with her. Also, let's talk for a moment. Women, why do, uh, why do we men have to say we love you first? Like, think about it. In your relationship... Uh, if you're in one of those sort of relationships, look at your spouse and be like, hey, which one of us said I love you first? Matter of fact, I bet you a scoop of ice cream that he said it first. You may have felt it first, but he had to say it first. I don't know why, but them's the breaks. Trust me, if I ever let you see me in person, you would be repulsed. Why do you always say that? Because I'm hideously deformed or I'm a paraplegic, or I'm actually 63 years old. Take your pick. I don't care if you're all of those three things. Tell me where to meet you and I'll prove it. I'll get on a plane right now and I'll fly to wherever you are. You know I will. She shook her head. Y you don't live in the real world, Z. From what you told me, I don't think you ever have. You're like me. You live inside this illusion. She motioned to her virtual surroundings. You can't possibly know what real love is. Don't say that. I was starting to cry and didn't bother hiding it from her. Is it because I told you I've never had a real girlfriend? And that I'm a virgin? Because of course not, she said. That isn't what this is about at all. Then what is it about? Tell me, please. The hunt. You know that. We've both been neglecting our quests to hang out with each other. We should be focused on finding the Jade Key right now. You can bet that's what Sorrento and the Sixters are doing, and everyone else. To hell with the competition. And with the egg, I shouted. Didn't you hear what I just said? I'm in love with you, and I want to be with you more than anything. She just stared at me, or rather her avatar stared blankly back at my avatar. Then she said, I'm sorry, Z. This is all my fault. I let this get way out of hand. It has to stop. What do you mean? What has to stop? I think we should take a break. 
stop spending so much time together. I felt like I had been punched in the throat. Are you breaking up with me? You know, maybe I should, you know, start reading some of these romance novels because I get all in for the emotional stuff. Maybe I should start reading like Nicholas Sparks, Pride and Prejudice, Hunger Games, Fifty Shades of Grey, Game of Thrones. You know, classical romance. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. What? Classical romance? Twilight, Pride and Prejudice, Fifty Shades of Grey? Those are the very definition of classical romance. How dare you? How dare you? Fight me, Inigo Montoya. Wait, I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, no, please don't. So as we continue on through the story, we find that uh, Wade has one uh, graduated through high school, developed this like love meet cute relationship, then breaks up with him, with her. <laughs> Woo, spoilers. No, I'm kidding. Um, and H and uh, Wade have also had this big fight, so they're no longer friends. And so Wade has gone through this depressive uh, mode in his life. He's uh, now kind of secluded in his own apartment and his bills are piling up and so he actually has to take a job. He works for a call center. He works for IOI, the company he hates, um, but he works at a call center for them to kind of pay his normal bills. See, celebrities don't make that much. And all the while, he's actually been uh, trying to figure out this quad train or this poem that he had gotten from Halliday, the next clue in line to you know find the egg. Now, a quad train is a stanza in a poem that has exactly four lines. Some quad trains comprise entire poems, while others are part of a larger structure. Quad trains usually have some sort of rhyme scheme. Um, A-A-B-B, uh, A-B-A-B, A-B-B-A. I'll give you an example of a popular um, quad train. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, now go cat go, is a very popular, you know, you see that A-B-A-B structure. So while he's been lollygagging off in Lubby Dubby land, someone else has actually found the next key and gate, and that someone else is Artemis. Um, so during this time he kind of gets his, it puts a little bee in his bonnet, I think is a phrase, and he gets moving. So um, Wade goes and he, he goes to this arcade planet, which is just a museum to all these arcade-style games. But on this museum planet of arcade-style games is an arcade called Aladdin's Castle. Now, growing up in the Midwest, there was an arcade in the only mall I would go to that was called Aladdin's Castle. At this moment, this book was getting spooky. And he goes to this pizza parlor, and he actually plays a perfect game of uh, Pac-Man. Now, if you're imagining what playing a perfect game looks like on Pac-Man, that's 256 levels of perfection. You cannot lose a life once, and even at the end, you got to go do some extra things. And he knows he should be searching for the key, but this he's kind of caught up in the competition of it all. And he gets this quarter, uh, and he doesn't know what it's for, and he can't take it out of his inventory. And uh, we know that Artemis finds the next key because... There's a big scoreboard with all the leaders on it, and she's now passed him on the scoreboard. Uh, next, H does, but H actually is kind enough to return the favor and gives him a clue. Wade, that is. And Daito and Shoto, his uh, Japanese friends that he ma made friendships with, uh, they're also members of the High Five. They go there and they, they also kind of figure it out. Shoto makes it out, but Daito loses his avatar in the process. He gets blown up by some ships and this is the first case in the book where someone loses their avatar and you see that everyone loses their stuff and you have to start all the way over from the beginning for collecting the keys collecting all kinds of gear everything sucks sucks bro this is the point where we also see that sorrento the big bad in this or story he's the the head of ioi at the sixers the one that 
Wade and Parzival, Artemis, H, all of them hate him. Turns out he has found the last key, the crystal key, and he has found the last gate. He has passed them all in scores, and he's now the highest person on the scoreboard. And it should, everyone feels like it's just moments away from him finding the, you know, the, how to how to beat the last gate and win the contest, take control of Oasis. This is that moment. This is the all is lost moment in the story because Wade is contemplating suicide. He's actually planning his suicide, and he knows exactly what he's going to do. He sends this message to everyone, and he's like, "All right, cool. I'm going to go jump off the roof of this building." But well, actually, let's talk about all his lost moments for a moment. So an all his lost moment is in some ways the fulcrum in a story. It's the point in which the protagonist in this story, Wade and Parsifal, shift their pursuit of what they want to do to what they need to do. Um, it's, it's a point in the story where I often think about it as the uh, do what you've always done, get what you've always gotten. So they've hit rock bottom. Well, they've been rock bottom for a minute. So he got broken up with uh, his, his friendship with H ended and now he's about to lose the game. So now he has nothing left to lose. He's at the lowest point he can be. He's about to jump off a building. You know, what I mean, well, I mean, I guess that's the highest point. You know what I mean? Come on, people work with me. So he's about to jump off the building, but he gets a message from Shoto. He's like, all right, forget it. I'll meet with him first. So he meets with Shoto. Shoto explains to him that Daito, or the real person that Daito really is, was actually murdered by IOI. They tried to kill Wade Percival in the uh, early, they blew up his house. What they did with Daito's real person is they threw him out of a building, kind of like how he was just going to jump off. And it's kind of recorded. And so um, this is the point where Wade, a.k.a. Percival, shifts from okay cool woe is me to be like oh no 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 i'm gonna get revenge they can't get away with this so now our protagonist reinvigorated figures out the clue and he figures out that it's on the planet rush a planet designed to um commemorate rush which was holiday's favorite band so he goes there and he figures out all the things he has to do one of them is a little bit arthurian like a guitar and a stone and he plays a little music from it it kind of reminds me a little bit of like guitar hero or rock band where you're trying to play along with the song anyway he sends a letter out to the other members of the the high five minus one r.i.p daito he actually sends a letter to them saying hey uh this is how you get to the third key um he kind of which is huge because throughout the whole story everyone has this immortal lifelong drive to be the best to be the person at the top of the pedestal and and he gets a clue by playing the guitar and doing the rock band things that it can't be unlocked alone. So it's not completely altruistic, but it is an important step because this is the first time that they have something that they think IOI doesn't have. They um, friends. <laughs> they go to the final level and they realize that the Sixers or IOI has blocked off the entire thing with this impenetrable magical spheric dome thing. And they can't get through. Everyone's tried everything. All the Gunters, everywhere else in, in, the, in the entire Oasis, like everyone in the entire internet, is now focused and trying to break through this one shield spell at this last planet. It's going to take something special, maybe even especially stupid, to make it happen. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. No, 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 not that stupid. Level 3. Going outside is highly overrated. Anorax Almanac, Chapter 17, Verse 32. Also known as, Man, if you don't get your fast self outside and quit running around my house, I'm going to break my foot off in your behind. Lamont's Mother, Every Summer, 1990-2015. to 
So we start off with Wade getting arrested. Yes, um, IOI breaks into his house, he puts him under arrest, and he has to serve as an indentured servant for the next 20 or so years to pay off a $20,000 loan that he never paid back. And like the idea, I'm like, wait a minute, it's gonna take you 20, 25 years to pay off a $20,000 loan? It's giving me like a student loan goosebumps. <laughs> Getting real tired of you ducking me, man. Like, I still have nightmares and thoughts of Sally Mae breaking into my house at midnight and breaking both my knees. I'd like to point out that the Prince of Poetry, J. Cole himself, actually just used a quatrain there in the AABB format. If I win, maybe then I can pay Sally Mae. See? turns out he gets arrested so he can get behind their firewall and one gain some information and two plant something in there so that maybe help him out later on in the story so he breaks out of the indentured servitude with some very clever things so now he's on the run going from like internet cafe to internet cafe logging onto a, the oasis sending messages to rd and h and uh shoto and he asks them to meet them in the chat room now remember They've been kind of angry at him, but he's also let them know, hey, how to get the crystal key. So he's done them all a really big favor. Ogden, which is kind of one of the founders of the Oasis, has been spying on them this entire time. Now, Ogden says, hey, for the end of this, why don't you all fly to me in Oregon? Uh, because Parzival has been internet hopping from, you know, internet cafe. He's on the run. He's worried someone's going to kill him because someone is trying to kill him, I guess. And from there, when they actually meet, it turns out, dun, dun, dun that H is actually a girl. And a black woman at that. And that's kind of this jarring thing for him. This is his best friend that he's told all these secrets, talked about all these women they've loved and or like adored from afar in terms of the internet or what have you. And all these things, he's kind of grown up with him a little bit. And it has this bit of betrayal to it, finding out that this person you've been talking to is not themselves, which is something that's kind of a part of this book the whole way of people not being who they pretend to be. And then it kind of alludes to, well, H is actually, her name is Helen, and she's actually someone who prefers women. She's sexually attracted to women. I don't know the actual term for it, and I don't want to get in trouble, and I don't want to offend anybody, so we should say she's sexually attracted to women. So in a way, it alleviates that, that feeling of betrayal that Wade was feeling. Those things, those feelings that she had towards women were actually true, and she meant them, and they realized that they, they were friends regardless of each other's genders and each other's sexual identities. And I think it's a really, really nice moment, especially in the age that we're living in. So it turns out that she pretended to be a white male because it had much better benefits than being a black woman. Well, now we have a firm grasp of the obvious. This is America. You slipping, no. They officially fly together and they get to Ogden's house and he meets Shoto but Artemis doesn't want to meet him until after they've at least completed or this whole quest for the egg has ended. So they each get their own individual oasis rigs or, or pods, and they log on, and the final battle begins. So they arrive outside the castle, and there's hundreds, maybe thousands, if not all the other gunters on the entire oasis system are waiting outside this big bubble surrounding this big castle, and the battle's about to begin. 
It turns out that the High Five had sent out this message and the news picked it up and ran with it. So now all of them have showed up for this big battle. Who's gonna miss the biggest battle in the history of the internet? So what actually happened when Wade was behind the lines, the enemy lines, when he was behind IOI, he actually hacked in and created this like robot with a, a, a routine that would go through and essentially drop off a bomb next to the person holding up this big spell, this impenetrable dome spell. And so uh, right, at the, right on time, that thing blows up and uh, the spell is dropped. Now the Sixers have these huge Mecha Godzilla machine and, and um, the High Five have their own ones and there's this big humongous fight that happens. Mecha Godzilla's ruining everything because he's doing what Godzilla gotta do, you know? Godzilla's gonna Godzilla. Ah, it's Godzilla! It looks like Godzilla, but due to international copyright laws, it's not. Some of the other ones have Gundams and there's a big fight going on and eventually they're able to topple it but Shoto's character dies so he loses all his stuff and he's out of the running but uh and they finally destroy uh Mechagodzilla by turning into not Mega Man but Ultraman Mega Man would have been cool too but he turns into Ultraman they destroy Mechagodzilla and he he only has a certain amount of time limit on there and he got it from a quest that he did with Daito Shoto. And so it has this nice little callback. And then they, they step right inside Castle Anorak and then they die. Turns out that IOI was in control of the Catalyst, which is something that they talked about early in the book, when that you can buy certain things on auctions and it was the most expensive thing ever to be bought. It costs like two million credits. And it's essentially a bomb that wipes out everybody in the entire sector. Now remember, sector is a, a huge set of planets. It's huge, a sector is very, very big. It's like a galaxy and it kills everyone there no matter what. So they all die. But luckily, Parzival still had that quarter that was in his inventory that he get from that game of Pac-Man. Turns out it's an extra life. So he comes back to life um, without his stuff, but he's able to go run and grab all his stuff and continue on through the final gate. We learn that Halliday coded the end of the egg hunt for the person that he loved most in the world. And this is really like heartfelt and cathartic moment. Uh, it's, it's a down to the wire thing because Sorrento is also inside there. He has a spare character, of course. That's cheating. Wade, a.k.a. Parzival, through all this tribulation, they persevere. So Wade gets to meet uh, Halliday's avatar. He becomes a 12-digit billionaire. He gets shown the big red button, which basically shuts down the entire oasis. Oh, the red button there, kid. Don't ever, ever touch the red button. Beforehand, he agreed no matter what to split the winnings with, with his friends, the people that helped him get there, uh, no matter what. And he finds out Artemis is waiting from the outside. They have this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful moment. My heart felt like it was on fire. I took a moment to work up my courage. Then I reached out and took her hand. We sat there a while, holding hands, reveling in the strange new sensation of actually touching one another. Sometime later, she leaned over and kissed me. It felt just like all those songs and poems had promised it would. It felt wonderful, like being struck by lightning. It occurred to me then that for the first time in as long as I could remember, I had absolutely no desire to log back into the oasis. Can't, I can't, I can't, I can't sing the praises 
high enough, loud enough. I love this book. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite books. It's definitely going to go into my top 10, probably top five books of all time. It's one of the few books I've ever read twice. It's also one of the first books I often recommend when someone asks me for a book recommendation. I will be eternally grateful for the person who suggested this book to me, and I'm sure this book will stand the test of time and be remembered as one of the greats. And speaking of that, let's talk about one of the themes in this book. I promised I would talk about it, immortality. Why do we play video games? I'll tell you, immortality and or the pursuit thereof immortality. You may think you're playing it for different reasons and I'm not gonna sit here and tell you why you're wrong, just know that you are and you're playing it for immortality. Getting your name on that high score list, why do you think you're writing your initials? Or something vulgar depending on your age range or if your name is Richard. You climbed that mountain and now hopefully everyone who ever climbs it after you knows it. You play sports games like me? You try to create a hall of fame career and a legendary player because legends never die. Same with the moments in the stories that you, and with you being in quotations, that you make in RPGs and multiplayer games. Those, remember that one time moment? And that's just on the player end, the consumer. What about the creator, the writer, the artists, the voice and mocap actors? Forever immortalized on that little bitty Laserdisc CD or Nintendo cartridge that you have to give a blowy to in order for it to play with you. There's a joke in there somewhere. You know what, moving on, close your eyes. I mean, unless you're driving and listening to this, then please don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, close your eyes. I want you to do an ex experiment for me. Think about Mario, the character. What's he wearing? What's he sound like? Some of you can't follow directions and you thought about Mario the singer. You know, this guy? Great singer, great song. But you're wrong, okay? The other Mario, the cartoon Mario. What does he look like? What does he sound like? If you guessed... It's me, Mario! Then you'd be right. He is immortalized in our brains forever, no matter what. You will always know what he looks like, what he sounds like, and that's immortality. And, you know, it doesn't even make any sense. He's not even all that great. He hasn't done anything worthy of being immortalized. You know, all he does is rescue the same princess over and over. <clears throat> Stop. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Think about your favorite characters from a story, any story, a movie, a book. You know, Jack Dawson, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Ro Romeo and Juliet. Shakespeare. The man's been dead hundreds of years, but he is immortal immortal he will forever be remembered his work lives on he lives on through his work that is true immortality creators writers actors designers they're all creating their own immortality and when you play read or watch you are doing the same very similar to what halliday did with the oasis in this this last easter egg hunt in his game he will forever live on as you know the person that designed the hunt and the same with the characters that are vying for the prize winning the hunt you are the person that found the egg uh, Wade Parzival will forever be remembered as the person who found the egg. But also, so much of the story was brought upon by their quest for glory, their desire for it. There was a chance for them to team up earlier and make sure that the uh, the bad people didn't win. But no, they needed that glory for themselves. They needed that 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 touch, that sliver of immortality, all to themselves. So much of this book is someone's manifestation of something that will that they hope will live forever. Music. A big portion of the of this book is also a quest for immortality. 
so many artists aim to make a timeless song or album. Now, you may not have seen Rent, and I get it. You know, science fiction and musical theater often don't go hand in hand. But if you have seen both, I'm really proud of you. You're a wonderful person. We'd probably be friends in real life. I mean, you probably are my friend. Let's be honest. The only reason you're listening to this is because you're my friend, especially if you got this far. You may say fame. Lamont, these artists are doing it for fame. But I would say that fame is just immortality that you get to experience today while you are alive. I'm gonna learn how to get a podcast done on time. Guys, as I said earlier, I got a new job and my life kind of got crazy. But thank you so much for sticking with me so far. You guys have been amazing. Thank you. This is it for this week's episode of Ready Player One. There's actually going to be a second episode of this coming up soon with me and a couple friends talking about this book. And you'll have other people's perspective instead of just listening to mine the entire time. Thanks for being a true fan and sticking with me this far. You all are amazing. I love you. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to see you here next time on Uncage the Page.